Hello and welcome. Today I am joined by David Clancy, who's a physiotherapist, amongst several other things, which we'll, we'll delve into. But David, thank you very much for, for joining me today. Yeah, pleasure, Andy. Looking forward to uh, having a conversation with you, learning a little bit from yourself as well. Please. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've had, already had a brief chat about it. And you probably probably can be a therapy session for me as well here. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, again, called you a physiotherapist but before we go into like my normal uh, questions if you just give me a bit of background about like the, what you're doing now like the different areas in which you're working in yeah so it's uh it's an interesting one i've definitely ranged out a lot purposefully in the last couple of years when i left london um where i was very much so a physio sports medicine physio i knew that back in Dublin would be difficult to match up with that and to be having the same, I suppose, uh, quality of patients coming in, same quantity, same sort of setup. So when I came back to Dublin, I set up a lot of different things. So right now, several different businesses, everything from a well-being performance company called Hawara to a podcast to the Learning Physiotherapist, which is very much online coaching, mentoring, education, and then still have a lot of work with different kind of teams in terms of sports medicine physio kind of consultancy so lots of different things because I was curious a lot about a lot of different things and just figured I'd be able to do a lot of that so pretty much that's where I'm at yeah great all right well we'll unpick some of that as we go but I'm really looking forward to it because again having looked at some of your content that you put out there I feel yeah. it really resonates with me and there's a few things that I'm, I'm looking forward to, to finding a bit more about um, as well so Thank you. So in terms of going back to where you're from originally, is it Dublin that you're from originally? No, I'm from Limerick, Limerick, the southwest, Munster. But uh, Dublin is where I did my master's and then ended up spending a good bit of time here. And now when we came back from London, my wife's from Dublin. We always figured Dublin would be a good spot to bring up and raise the family and not too far from my home. So Limerick is where I'm from. Yeah, but Ireland, but but have have travelled a fair bit through the years as well, you know. Yeah, yeah. No, I've been. I see not as much in in um, since I've been a physical, but I used to do a lot of lot of touring around. Um, so yeah, I've been to Limerick. I used to because it was selling equipment. I was like traveling on my own. But it's like you're experiencing all these great places, but you're not always getting to properly experience it. But I always loved going to Ireland. It's just it's like it's like a different way of life. To I mean, I'm in Manchester, but it's a different way of life over there. Yeah, yeah. I I know Manchester. I did my physio in Kiel, so not too far. Um, in Stoke and would have spent a lot of time in Manchester so have a soft spot for there as well but I, I always thought we'd be raising the family in Ireland kind of as much as I spent time in New Zealand in the States and, and Canada when I was a kid but always kind of gravitated I always felt I'd end up coming back to Ireland and we're very much you know settled here pretty happy here wife seems to be happy here it seems to be a good spot to raise the kids so yeah it was the right decision. Very good. And then so going back to when you're in Limerick then, so what was your pathway into into physiotherapy? Like like a lot of physios, you know, probably injured a little bit. I, I played basketball at the time, uh, pretty high level in Limerick, played, played with the Irish team. And then I was picking up some injuries around the age of 15, 16, you know, tendon injuries, myositis, osphic hands, ankle sprain, stuff like that. Nothing, nothing too major. But I suppose at that time it, it piqued my interest in it. And I didn't always know physio was going to be the one really because, you know, when I was 18 and I was looking at what I wanted to do, I was very interested in journalism. I loved journalism. I was also very interested in medicine. I was very interested in psychology and I was also interested in physio. So actually had opportunities to maybe go to the Netherlands or, or go to the Czech Republic to study uh and I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do. So in the end, I, I did physiology. I went to Carlo for a couple of years and that really helped me understand that actually, yeah, physio is what I'm going to do now. So after that, then I decided to go to the UK. But that two year buffer period, you know, I, I got a really broad education across phys physiology, health and uh, and had some different experiences over those couple of years. And that's what I suppose led me into physio, really. Yeah. Mm. That's quite impressive that you've got four different areas that you were really interested in around the sort of 18 like that. Did you feel like you were set in going into one of those professions? Because journalism is very different to, yeah. to physio. Yeah, it is very different. I, I know in school I used to do a lot of debating and 
I used to love public speaking. I used to love writing. I used to write in the school newsletter experiences. I, I would have done a bit of work in radio and stuff like that. I, I loved that. Um, so that's probably where that came from. I was always reading. I was, I was always interested in writing. But I think the body, I was always a little bit interested in the body and I kind of had exposure to training when I was, you know, playing a bit of rugby, playing a bit of basketball. And I, I really started to gravitate more towards that. And it really then, you know, I could have easily done medicine, but I was probably going to go abroad. I was very interested in traveling. I really wanted to get exposure outside of Ireland. So, yeah, you know, it, it could have easily, it could have easily been medicine. It, it could have been psych, but uh, physio was the one for me at the time. Yeah. And then, so another person who was interested in journalism physio is Jack Chu, who you probably know would have seen some, name, some yeah. stuff on that as well. So, but yeah. it's quite interesting that you have been able to marry both of them in terms of what you're doing now. Yeah, it's uh, it's a funny one. I've always been really interested in it. You know, I've done a good few writing courses. I've I've done lots of. Uh, public speaking, presentation, you know, the ability to articulate, get your thoughts out verbally, but also onto paper and how that can really be really valuable. And a lot of the mediums now in terms of what we're doing, be that Hawara, be that the learning physio, be that podcast, be that LinkedIn, a lot of it is 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 writing. It's obviously a really good way to help you understand your voice, maybe to, to clarify your thinking process. And so it's something I've been always trying to work on as a skill, and I, I really enjoy it. I, I can really get immersed in it. So it's been great that I've been able to kind of marry the two a little bit and, and continue to work on both. Yeah. Mm. And then so how did you end up in Keele? Well, I applied for a lot of different universities in the UK, and the ones that I really liked when I visited was I particularly liked Brighton. I liked Eastbourne. I liked Brighton. And and I really liked Keel. I was a big Man United fan, still am tough times at the moment. Um, but I would have gone over to Manchester 30, 40 times when I was a kid with my dad for United matches. And so I was always gravitated towards there. And I could have gone to Manchester Metropolitan as well. But Keel in particular kind of liked the the countryside. I liked the Peak District. I liked the fact that was Stoke-on-Trent isn't the prettiest place on earth. It was really well located. So it was very easy to get to and from, from Ireland, but there were lots of big cities not too far away. So Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester, getting to London, it was just really well located. So I think that was that was a big pull, but also I'd obviously heard that Kiel had a pretty good reputation, uh, School of Health and Rehab there. So there were a couple of reasons as to, as to why so and ended up then going to a couple of potters games when they were uh when they were firing on all cylinders yeah yeah no well i went to manchester metropolitan so i was at alsager doing sports science so oh, yeah i know you, you never we may have uh, pa crossed paths in valentino's on a monday night in stone yeah, yeah, yeah there you go exactly yeah yeah we lived in a place called newcastle under line that's where we spent most of our time yeah yeah, yeah. No, I've been yeah, I've been to Newcastle, Newcastle quite a few times. So once you were doing that at Keel, then so at what point were you formulating what you thought you were going to do once you'd graduated? I suppose it's when I went on placements. So I went on, as we all do, right, clinical placements. And, you know, I liked neuro. I was interested in neuro at the time. Funnily enough, studying a bit more of it now. Um, respiratory, ah, didn't really do it for me at the time, but I was particularly drawn to MSK, musculoskeletal. I had a couple of placements in different places, you know, Wolverhampton in particular, one that really stood out to me and it seemed to be something I was particularly interested and passionate about. And so from that, I kind of said, I want to specialize a little bit more. I didn't feel I wanted to go into public. I didn't want to go straight to hospitals, straight to placements. And there was a part of me as well that maybe I'll go back to Ireland now and see if I can get into sport early or set up a practice. So I actually decided I think I needed to further specialize and learn a little bit more. So that's why I decided to go for Trinity to apply for the master's in sports and exercise medicine and, and then get into that. And that really opened up a lot of doors for me in terms of learning exposure, working opportunities, and also helped me kind of find my path in a couple of different ways. So it was that was the, you know, I did two years Carlo, three years in Kiel, and then came back for the full-time Masters, but worked through that whole year as well, back in Dublin. Right. 
you're working is that in physio doing yeah yeah so i i came back so dublin that was the first time i'd lived in dublin and i opened up my own private practice straight away at the start of the master's year out of a gym out of a total fitness gym called and i call it clancy clinic funnily enough and yeah it was a big stretch out of the comfort zone learned a lot about how to build a business brand awareness how to get people in through the door building rapport all the stuff funnily enough that i'm trying to bring into the learning physiotherapist but all the stuff that you you don't learn about really about building a business and it was a great it was a it was a great experience really difficult obviously it paid for the masters but but gave me exposure to acl injuries and to shoulder injuries and obviously had the gym environment on my doorstep so it was uh yeah it was a it was a it was a great time really you know so was that the only way that you had been exposed to like learning business like then in terms of literally learning on the job yeah learning on the job yeah so during the masters i would have been you know studying full time nine to five ish <laughs> Uh, going to you know all the all the work there, I got a little bit involved in a pit side rugby in Trinity for the year as well, um, with the with the T League of Ireland team there, and then yeah, it was that was the exposure. So I I used to spend every evening trying to build my own business, my own private practice with, with just me, uh, self employed, you know, trying to you know liaise with the gym a lot, meet people at the door, build out marketing campaigns with my uncle who'd come up from Limerick and. That was essentially me trying to really understand how to formulate a business and and then through the latter part of the year I ended up getting involved in in a soccer team you know ucd league of ireland and that was that was a big part of my kind of early physio career because i was with them for a good few years right yeah and then in terms of that i think like sales and so on that can sometimes be frowned upon in whatever walk of life but certainly with some of the physios that we come across you, you don't want to be seen to be doing that but how important do you think that skill set is or what you have to do like when you're creating your own business naturally you've got to try and generate business so how did you did you find that you were you naturally good at that sort of thing like irish are always associated with having the gift of the gab and so on but was that something that came naturally to you i never really thought about it uh, yeah i i didn't feel i needed to train in it i mean i was i was never shy of meeting someone at the door you know and trying to get to understand what they were doing and it was very important that i would have built rapport with the md in the gym and kind of tried to get a sense as to this is how i can help support you if there's people here carrying knocks or injuries let me you know try to understand that build a conversation from there so i was very not confident but but happy enough to make that approach early on and even meeting people at the door handing out posters handing out business cards I didn't I didn't feel I was I just had to do it because I was interested in building a business I was trying to pay for a master's I was trying to to understand what it would entail so I think it is really it's something that we'll all get exposed to at some point in time and and there's younger practitioners older practitioners that maybe invest time in trying to understand how to improve it and then others that you know just really just lean into it and really just gain that experientially and and the latter was probably where i was at at that point in time and just learn from trial and error what worked you know mm. do you think there should be more of a formalized topic of that within a physio degree or sports therapy sports rehab yeah because a lot of physios end up doing that i mean a lot of the physios that i would have studied with in keel are now you know 10 15 years later building their own business right which is pretty complex because you're dealing with people trying to understand the market you're trying to understand copywriting you're trying to understand building your brand so if you don't have an awareness or understanding education in that fundamentally that will make it really really difficult so you might be great at treating clinically an ankle sprain if it comes in but you have to be able to get the people to come in through the doors and that's not about saying how great you are and that you know it all but it's about understanding the market i think that's really important and, and for sure it's not taught undergrad you know a lot of people you know just go straight into public or go straight into sports team and maybe some good luck but for those that maybe are trying to find their own way trying to build their own potential revenue streams in some capacity a little bit of more formal training, mentoring could really help, I think. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I definitely, definitely agree with that. That's why I think like the other things that you've got on to do, really valuable skill sets for people in any any walk of life. Um, and then in terms of, so you're doing the football, so were you doing your private practice, the football, as well as doing the Masters? Yeah, so I, I finished, the, let's say, finished the Masters, eventually got the thesis done, which was hard, um, very difficult. But then, uh, yeah, the pit side was great. UCD used to travel all around Ireland, you know, trainings two, three a week, matches, traveling to anywhere up the country. And I, I loved it. I loved it. And it was really hard because it was very much me. And, and there was a doctor on a day, you know, on, on game days and some other physios on a rotational space. And I got a really good opportunity to get in in it, uh, get that job through the master. So grateful for that opportunity at the time. And the private practice, you know, Clancy Clinic essentially fizzled out, but not by design. Total Fitness ended up consolidating their business and closing up shop and leaving Ireland. So consequently, I said, OK, you know, I see that as a sign. I'm going to work a little bit more on the football. I enjoy that. And and then was so I was working predominantly in UCD pitch side physio. I ended up hopping between different practices, different clinics for the next couple of years in Dublin. Not not because I didn't like anyone in particular, but I was interested in different approaches. So I would have went to someone who was really strong in manipulative therapy. It's studied in Australia. Then I spent a bit more time now in a rehab practice. So I was really trying to expose myself to people that were really, really competent, confident at their respective sort of skill sets. And I was really trying to think about that as well as obviously still doing the bread and butter of the football job, you know? Mm, yeah. No, and how again, how important was going through all of that process? Because it sounds like you were really you had a vision of of what you, the skill sets you needed to add to your armory, but was that with a view to doing more in sport or, or what was the goal with that? Probably more in sport, yeah. You know, at the time we're talking, what, early 20s, 24, 25, you know, I probably wanted to have that job in high performance sport, right? Probably wanted to be that pitch side physio of a big Prem team. That was, not that that was ever a goal of mine. I never stuck it on a wall and, I never really understood that at the time, but never said like, that's what I wanted to do. But I was trying to expose myself to what other people in and around Ireland were doing. Rugby, football, sports surgery clinic, different practices, geographically positioned. Um, and I suppose it's only when I then, and I would have attended lots of seminars and, you know, did dry needling, did myofascial work, did manipulative therapy courses. It's only when I went to a conference in Stamford Bridge 2012, I think, uh, Isaac Kinetic Conference, that that probably changed the trajectory of my career a little bit because, again, kind of challenged myself, said I'll go over to London here. It was actually after a dry needling weekend. And uh, and that was an opportunity that, you know, led to the next step really in my, in my working career, really. And I was at that conference because I, I remember I was I'd literally just set physical up and it was quite a stressful period. But I remember going to that. I love that Viali was talking, wasn't he? That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So, so is that when you did you engage with Isokinetic then? Yeah. So I went over to it on my own, didn't know anyone at all. Ended up kind of really getting a sense as to the scale of it, the internationalization of it, the community the network, all those words that now I think are really, really important. And I really understand the importance and value behind them. But but yeah, I, I met a few people that ultimately became pretty instrumental in later years. And But it was very much like going up, getting a photo. Will you sign my book? That's what it was like. Um, you know, meeting celebrities for me, as it were. And then, and yeah, I, I, I came back, but I, I I kept in contact with some key people. And I think that would be a big lesson. And it's something that I've I've really worked on for the last 15 years. And I think anyone listening to this, that would be a big you know, piece of advice, that communication, keeping keeping up communication, be that on the phone, be that email, especially with people that can help you, can potentially be a mentor, can potentially open up opportunities. That's been really fruitful for me. And I think I really saw that and that was the first time when I really got a sense as to that. So I think people, 
should should really bear that in mind if they're attending a conference, not to be afraid to go up and approach people if they're interested in what's going on in Aspatar or what happened in the Isokinetic Conference in Lyon and you see somebody speaking and you really love what they were saying or where they come from, you know, lean into it and go up and try to make that contact because it's it served me well. Mm, yeah, who were some of those people in that one in 2012? Who were some of those people that you wanted to get to sign their book or whatever? So I went straight up to Stefano Della Villa, who was the, the president, the, the boss, the man, um, legend. We still keep in touch to this day. Really helped me a lot. Uh, Brian English at the time, I think he was working with Chelsea. He was key, very much instrumentalized kinetic. Mike Davison helped me a lot in my career. So those those sort of people, you know, and they I still very much uh, keep in touch with a couple of them. Those would be the guys that jump out to me. But then, you know, other people like Dr. Matthew Stride still over there and Isaac Kinetic now. So definitely they're the people that jump out to me um, and would have very much helped me with my transition into the to the more formal job, really. Over yeah. And so was that then, did you have any ideas you thought, actually, I do, I'd like to work with Isokinetic? Was that formulating in your mind or was it purely just the networking? No, I came away from it and came back to Ireland and I kind of went, yeah, I'd like to do, I'd like to work with them. I kind of, there's something about that. I think that doesn't probably exist in Ireland. I liked the, the taste of being part of something a little bit bigger. And, and you know, you can define that in whatever way you want, but the ability to maybe travel, be, that conference in itself was very impressive at the time for me. And just meeting people that had been there, been done that, been successful, you know, ironically, that's where the podcast came about, right? So that sort of taste came back to me when I came back to Ireland. I said, I have to find a way. I have to get part of that group that company somehow because I think that will really help me whether I stay there forever or not or it's a short-term thing um yeah I was kind of open to exploring how to get in with Isaac Kinetic and how did you manage to do that not easily they uh they didn't like me at first um because I liked doing stuff my own way uh funnily enough that's what I'm doing now fellas but um yeah I mean, I was applying and trying to understand what was the process and I would have gone over for what were called uh, Tiracinos, kind of micro placements in Italy. As to what year that was, probably 2013, something like that, and would have gone to Bologna and maybe come back. And at first, I think my first impression for them after a couple of weeks was he's not the right guy. He's not the he's not the person we're looking for. So that was hard for me at the time. And I was kind of what? And I remember creating that opportunity and then going over for it and then not landing. And I was unusual because I was non-Italian. They were all Italian. Um, but the fact most of them were some obviously of the really key people that were building the UK arm to the business weren't Italian, but a lot of them were Italian. And I think maybe just how I was, my manner, maybe my approach. The Irishness, as you touched on, the fact that I've been building my own businesses. I liked dry, dry needling. I, I used to do a lot of my own diagnosis. A lot of that sort of stuff probably just didn't sit well with them at the time. But I think even when I didn't get it at first, another big lesson at the time was being gritty, persevering with it. So I didn't get it. I came back and I was a bit bummed, you know, and I reflected and I kind of went, well, OK, not for me. Not for me right now. Why? Try to understand what was I missing, where I needed to get better. So I kept working away here in Ireland, but kept in touch with them and kept saying, you know, give me another go, give me another opportunity and give. They were calling me the wild horse <laughs> and then eventually got another opportunity and then went back for an extended period in Milan for months and then London um, in the pop up clinic. And again, I was, you know, one of the first non-Italian and and came through that process really well after kind of four or five months. And that's really what got me into London with them. So second time, you know, it took me it took me a couple of goes. Mm. And so what was that like going to Milan and working in that both from a language perspective, but also just living in Milan? Yeah, it was cool. It was it was hard. They long hours, worked long hours. The Italians work hard. Isaac Kinetic as a family work hard. They, that's just work ethics really important and in Italy as well you know I was 
be doing some like eight to nine thirty, right? Long days and uh, no, no English and I had no Italian. So I was going over listening to listening to Italian and reading and having my uncle teach me Italian. And, you know, I'd never really been to never been to Milan. Um, oh, I get to go watch some Serie A games. That would be great. But it was an amazing experience and a big, you know, one of the big decisions at the time was at the time, my girlfriend, now wife, I had to decide, well, I'm going to, you know, leave you in Dublin and go to Italy and let's let's try the distance thing and let's see if it works. I need to try it. I really want to do it. This is something I need to see if I can land. I didn't get it the first time. And and Mary, you know, she backed me, which was which was really important. And she ended up visiting me a lot in Italy. And that I think really helped because personally, I had someone that was supportive of me. It gave me confidence. She trusted me. She knew I could do it and was was really hard and I had to pay for it pretty much all out of my own back pocket. Ultimately, you know, I learned a little bit of Italian, got to watch some matches and and learned an awful lot about the method and the philosophy and the story about Isaac Kinetic. And that's set me up well, set me up very well when I went to London then. Mm. No, it's interesting because, again, I was brought into Isaac Kinetic and didn't know a huge amount about it, but we've we've been working with Matt and um, Andrea, the new guy in um, in London. And so, like, in terms of the philosophy, why? What was it about that that you were so keen? Because there's a lot of places in London or, or around the world. But what was it particularly about the philosophy that they had that you thought I've got to be a part of that? Education and research was really important, and still is. You know, Francesco, you're you're now running that show. It was Sergio Roy at the time, and I think their method, their system, the way they like to do things was really, really important. And I really liked that and gravitated towards it. What that would do is it retains quality for the most part. So whoever comes within the system, no matter where you are, who you are, what you've done, you could be 40 and have worked in countless teams. You could be 23. You could have done a master's and a PhD. You still have to go through the same three to four month learning period to integrate and that in itself, I found at first, probably it put me off a lot. But when I think about it now, probably really wise because it gets everyone on board. It kind of helps build cohesion. And I, I and I really got a sense to that. So when they bring you together for meetings in Italy and, you know, you break bread over dinner, those sort of communal sort of settings that does translate to the rehab environment. It does translate to the energy that's created for the patient. So I thought the way they did things that way was really good. What they tried to do offsite did transfer a lot of the time to the practice in the clinic, you know, be that on grass, be it in the gym, be that in the water. So there was a lot of, lot of reasons. And also the conference, again, that network, that exposure internationally really drew me in you know I was really intrigued by that because it, it just spoke opportunity and potential and growth. Mm. No I think it's really impressive to go and do that but one of our members of the team has been with us for eight years he volunteered when he was a student for six months and got involved came over from Leeds on public transport and I just think it's really impressive it's like again his character it shows doesn't it and again for you to move country not be making any money from it with no language and you know the amount of people have spoken the last couple of years about that is it worth it because you pay you pay for it in a lot of different ways time energy potentially sacrificing relationships financially you know you have to figure out the trade-off you need to write pros and cons on a sheet of paper see where you fall and for me at the time the biggest thing was probably what will happen with my girlfriend at the time and that was the big, but the fact that she said, go for it and I'll, we'll work it out and let's do distance for a while. That was the one. But, but, you know, travel and you have to probably go to Italy. And that's a huge undertaking. But sometimes you have to take that jump. If, you know, if you see what you if you see that it's worth it. Yeah, no, it's obviously paid off. So it's great. It's great to see that, isn't it? In, in terms of that. So once you'd got that, you got the role, um, was that something that you so you moved to the, the main clinic on Harley Street? Yeah, originally it was a pop-up in Welbeck Way for how long? A year, 18 months. And there was only a couple of us there. It was 
It was a great place. There was a good vibe. It was never really recreated in Harley Street because Welbeck Way, we were, it was it was a startup business, right? Isaac Kinetic was trying to get a foothold in central London, an Italian company coming over to London. There were some great sports med physicians there, uh, you know, Brian and, and Matt Stride, and obviously Mike was there. And some of us then were coming in fresh into the system as physios and it was a great vibe, but then, yeah, when moving over to Hardy Street as well, that was exciting, right? We were trying to build the caseload, the capacity, so that it came to that critical point when this place is too small for the mass here. We needed to move. And then, you know, yeah, it was part of the literally building Hardy Street process with builders and staff, right? Putting equipment into the gym floor and having friends, Kevin, if you're listening, helping move stuff in. So that was... Uh, amazing experience but you know you hear oh harley street you never really appreciate never understood i never understood much about it at the time i just again this is a nice space it's pretty big this would be a good place to work for a couple of years that was exciting yeah yeah no i can imagine I can imagine to be able to build build something there what i mean it's a great spot isn't it the right end of harley street as well you've got everything else going off there yeah. So and then what was that like then for you again living in London now? So, I mean, you've been doing it for, in the pop up, but what did you live close by or how far away were you? Yeah, so it was, you know, renting a place called St. John's Wood. And eventually then my girlfriend, she came, Mary, came over. And so that was, you know, it was nice. It was a lovely part of London. You know, didn't spend loads of money. Got a nice small little place. Again, working really long hours. And I was, you know, I was doing such a mix really mostly in in the gym uh in isaac kinetic but again it's just trying to upskill on on all my sort of rehab practices building building links with key consultants orthopedic surgeons attending conferences and seminars and it was uh it was great you know we would be doing on-field sessions out in the lords for all the pro athletes we had no real grass facility and and then the biomechanics lab was built at the time which became known as the green room kind of 3G surface on the top. And I was very much involved in the starting up of that uh, with sports science sports science guys at the time. So that was also really, really interesting. Got me interested in biomechanics, which I'd never really explored or knew much about as well. So lots and lots of learning, lots of work, lots and lots of patients. And I was seeing 100 patients a week for sure. Um, big mix, professional athletes, non-professionals david's you know my mom my dad west indie cricket player prem footballer so just that whole mix of trying to manage the caseload and 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 then obviously be part of the mdt as well which was for me besides the football team was also something a little bit different right being part of a bigger mdt was uh was another learning experience for me which which was great yeah yeah and I can imagine it would be yeah, networking with some of those top names in sports medicine must be very exciting. And so how long were you there for? Uh, how long was I in Isaac Kinetic for? For about five years, four and a half, five years. Probably should know something like that. And I think, you know, I, I was very happy, grateful with what I did there. You know, I again, big lesson didn't mind doing things, didn't mind challenging myself, loved public speaking. So got the opportunity to speak at a good few of the conferences. Of course, being part of Ice Kinetic helped for sure. I recognize that, but got to speak in London a couple of times and Barcelona a couple of times. That was fun and got to travel a lot. I was part of the cultural group. So I was the representative in London. I used to go around to all the different centers in Italy and then come back and help with learning, development and training in London. So that was fun. But uh you know, I, I knew I couldn't do it forever. I, I knew just that caseload, that, you know, that capacity was was hard. And also, to be honest, my wife became my wife, right? Um, she missed home. She missed home and she tried. We, we'd moved to Notting Hill. We'd had a boy, my son, Michael. And, you know, for those big family reasons as well, we the big draw was probably go back home. Maybe my wife will settle probably find a go back to the job she used to have she'd probably be a little bit happier maybe better to bring up my son there so those were big reasons really to leave it wasn't so much the professional reasons I was was doing well in Isaac Kinetic and it was it was hard but I was enjoying it and I'd gotten some great opportunities with American franchises as well at the time um 
which again was 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 a really cool experience as well. So from a sports medicine perspective, I was doing very very well, but uh, you know, family family came first, and I had to had to bring them back to Ireland. You know. So was that when you were exposed to working with some of the, the basketball teams, the franchises? Yeah. So LinkedIn is a powerful thing. So LinkedIn, you know, different people would have saw me on LinkedIn, different people in the Isokinetic Network reached out to me a little bit and just got one or two opportunities in and around Europe. Uh, in particular, with a French player, a basketball player, a professional basketball player who'd hurt his knee. The fact that I spoke French helped. And and yeah, that was an opportunity with the Spurs, San Antonio Spurs. And, you know, one thing, one step led to another and eventually ended up getting a pretty, pretty unusual uh, opportunity with the Spurs to be the kind of European consultant. So looking after the European based players. So I used to travel around Europe and look after the players, liaise with the team, the NBA team. Used to go to Texas a lot. Family came over. And that then paved the way to the Brooklyn Nets job, which was similar sort of role, right? Heading up rehab and performance medical support in Europe. I was in Europe. So I'd watch the drafted players in Europe and and just communicate how they were doing with the respective teams with what was going on with their parent club, as you were, in the NBA. So, you know, amazing opportunity and grateful for it. Got to travel around Europe a lot. Serbia, Greece, France, all these sort of places, Slovenia, and then got to spend obviously a lot of time in, in the US, right? So um, that, that got me exposure to, to that level of high performance sport and kind of what it entails if you want to be a medical or performance director or, or a rehab lead or something like that for those sort of teams, you know? Mm, that sounds unbelievable. And so um, you probably can't talk about names, but like Tony Parker, so he's Obviously, like the um, the Spurs, like because they, they had a proper top team, then didn't they? They were like the championship winning. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and you know he was linked to the French team as well, uh, Villeurbanne in Lyon. So that was there was that was one of the links as to why I ended up going to Lyon a little bit. So yeah, you know, looking on it now and reflecting on who I managed to meet and the opportunities I managed to to get in the states and in Europe. Just now, I still kind of go, how did that happen? Wow. Oh my God, a lot of things had to happen for it to happen. What I what I would say is again, you know, the lesson there was, I suppose I was willing to try it, right? And I, I could have failed, I could have, and there were a lot of times it was hard. You know, I'd be working in Isaac Kinetic Monday to Friday, full, full house, finish at six. My wife is in the apartment. I'd have to get to Heathrow, get a 10.30 flight to Athens, get into Athens at three in the morning. So that's Friday, Saturday. Spend the weekend in Athens looking at a couple of players, building rapport with Olympiacos, coming back to start eight o'clock on a Monday morning, right? And I did that for, you know, three and a half, four years. So people don't see that. They just see, oh, he worked with these cool teams. But it was a lot of travel uh, every couple of weeks. And, and I was exposing myself to making mistakes and also building my own practices right and sometimes you know i i would try to always follow up with injuries all the time and put it onto a database for the teams in the states but sometimes i could have been better at it so so even even at that level of course you're making mistakes and but the, that's where communication is so important right you know making sure everyone understands so yeah it was an amazing experience really grateful for it and helped helped an awful lot with helping me understand maybe what I want to do moving forward too, you know? Mm, yeah, no, definitely. It sounds unbelievable. So how come you speak French? I lived in Montreal when I was a kid. So when I was nine, I lived in Canada for four years. So that was my, I suppose, dip into uh, living outside of Ireland, outside of Limerick, was because my dad had a job opportunity and, and yeah, you know, playing ice hockey, playing basketball and, Traveling around the States and Canada was was cool. And obviously in Montreal, it's a French speaking city in Quebec. So you have to learn how to speak French. So that's where I learned French. And therefore, whilst my Italian isn't great, it, it helped a little bit with the Italian because they're not extremely different. So th that helped a little bit across pollination, you know. But uh, yeah, the French at the time helped with that first MBA job. Yeah. No, definitely. Well, yeah, anyone from well. 
Britain, Ireland, you can speak no language. Yeah, a rare breed, isn't it, really? Yeah, 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 exactly. People always, you know, funny thing was, you can never understand the English because I was, the English and the Italians, I was always speaking really fast, really quick, not very much enunciating words as the Irish are known for. So, uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was funny that it was a language that helped me get a job when we're always dissed about the English, you know? <laughs> So then when you moved over to, to Ireland then, what was that to do? Well, you know, I did a lot of work with a fella. So I was working with a, a West Indies cricket player called Jason Holder, playing New Zealand at the moment. And the two of us kind of, we got on really well. And we both ended up going to the same coach uh, at the time who actually did personality profiling us at the time. And he helped Jason an awful lot. And Jason went off and became number one all-rounder. Good man, Jace. And I ended up learning a lot about family is important now. I need to look after my wife here. I want to have a, I want to have another child and I want to build a little bit. I want to do a little bit for myself. So when I was looking at, looking within and answering those questions and asking those questions, that helped me understand that when I came back to Dublin, it'd be hard to recreate Isaac Kinetic and Hardy Street. And could I retain the MBA? Probably because it's still still flying. So that that works. But what can I do instead of Isaac Kinetic, which was such an amazing place? Let's just try a few different things and range out. And, you know, I spoke to another fellow over in the UK called Johnny Zimer, and he would have helped me understand that it's so it's OK to expose yourself to different things that you're curious in. So that's where, you know, the birth of other businesses came about. I, originally, it was a sports medicine clinic called SoCo for a couple of years in Dublin. With a, with a couple of people called Connor mostly, um, and that was great. But again, wanted to do some other things. And that's what's probably brought me about. That's what brought Hawara into the world. That's what brought the podcast into the world, the learning physio, just lots of exposing myself to different things. And for me now, they're, they're the ones I'm particularly interested in, parallel to still what I'm doing in the physio world over the next couple of years, you know. So when you were deciding on the podcast then, what was like the, how did you come up with that particular title, that particular angle? What was the process around that? Originally, it was when I came back to Dublin, well, I had dealt with these pro athletes in London and they were successful, right? They were, because they had made it in the Premier League, made it in the NBA, they made it in you know, West Indies, whatever. What was it about that person that enabled them to get to that level? So when I started the podcast, and it was it was it was very much about that. The first good few episodes, although the audio is terrible, um, was about speaking to former patients, speaking to Callum Wilson and understanding what was it like getting back from injury. And those first couple of episodes are all about probably the patients that had had an injury and what was it about their story? What was it about them personally that helped them be successful? So Jay Ajayi, Matt Jarvis, Tommy Hoban, all these guys uh, that I'd met and I was trying to understand what made them successful and it grew from there and it became less about who I'd seen as the physio and more about just other people and again it it, it grew and it went wider and it ranged and then it became more about well, what makes people successful in their walk of life be that art military business sport and and that's really that's what led to where it is today you know Mm, oh, interesting. Are there, are there any like trends that you've seen of key characteristics across the board? Yeah, always pretty curious about how to get better in some way. You know, that is that reading, is that listening to something, is that exposing themselves to certain stimuli? So that that ability to lean into challenge, I think, coupled with that work ethic work ethic and drive, the ability to keep pounding the rock, as the Spurs would say. I think that's really, really, really critical. And yeah, those would be the big ones. I think they're the they're the big ones that jump out to me. But like there's what's been what's been great about them, there's so many different nuggets and lessons within each of the different people. So there's an episode coming out next week with Ford Dyke and he talks about human performance optimization. And to be honest, that whole show nearly could make me completely think about what I'm doing in an, in a week. And that's just one episode. So I, I could think of 
40 other examples when I've really taken information personally, but also then we've taken it and distilled it into workshops, seminars, written pieces of work, um, you name it. It's been such a great network builder, but also a weekly PhD of learning, right? That's what the podcast is. Mm, no, it's, it's interesting. Like the, the clip that you um, that we commented on beforehand. How do you get that balance between not driving yourself to exhaustion or worse, to being a hard worker? Like that work ethic's important, but where? How do you get that balance between not going over too far or you know taking holiday or relaxing? Yeah, that's what Neil Brady said recently. Boundaries is really important. Time blocking is important. Managing your diary is important. Understanding what fills you up. Understanding energy as well. So, you know, there's only so much energy you can disperse in a day. So I, I think for me, I understand that a lot of the things I'm doing now, I really enjoy them all. So there's a lot of passion there. There's a lot of purpose behind them. I'm really interested in them. So they're not hard work. Some of them take a lot of energy and output from me. So therefore, I have to make sure I create opportunities and gaps in a day, in a week to to keep going. And that could be training in the gym. That could be mobility. It could be meditation. It could be yoga. It could be breath work. It could be playing with my kids, playing a guitar. So I think understanding that balance, that when you're going, you're on and you're present and you're delivering, especially if it's something you really enjoy. Try to find that. But also understand that you need to keep giving yourself energy and what is it that gives you that and i think i'm i have a pretty good awareness of 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 when i'm off and when i feel pretty aligned and when i'm when i'm really firing and performing it's usually when i've got that balance right you know today i had a good gym session did a bit of early reading had a good walk in the morning with my kids so i felt it was going to be a good work day right and i didn't need to work late so i won't be tired later so I won't, I'll be able to wind down well and understand then that tomorrow I'll have my morning routine. So I think there's lots of different pieces and it is about speaking to people, reading about it, trialing it um, and seeing what works for you. What would your suggestions be or what do you do if you kind of realise you're not on it, like you're not having a good day, you're in a bit of a negative mood cycle, whatever, like what, anything that you try and do or try and avoid doing well i try to take i take a break for sure i take you know i acknowledge that maybe you know i, I the intuition there a pretty good awareness that yes ah, isn't working i need a break so i'll never do two hours on a computer right i'll do you know I'll go into a cave and do 40 50 minutes and then take a break and the break i i do a lot of breath work i do a lot of meditation do a lot of reading and i do a lot of, i like training right and training could be mobility outside it could be walking for five minutes or it could be or it could be going to the gym so that's the stuff like that is the stuff that really does make all the difference for me so if i if i'm hitting a wall trying to write it's not working for me take a break go down have some water get some fresh air get some ambient light if it's there and you know do a cycle of box breathing those sort of things i talk about it but it helps me so that's the kind of stuff I'll gravitate towards. Yeah, no, it's in, again, meditation and breath. You, you hear about this stuff being really good. But like, what do you use for like your breath work? How do you, have you got an app or what? Yeah, yeah I'd, I've done XPT. I've done the performance breathing cert with PJ Nestler, Laird Hamilton. So I really try to understand that. So I like that app, but there's there's other apps sometimes I use, but I kind of know it myself meditation still kind of hard to grasp it for me i you know i wish i really built the habit um and I end up using a lot of different apps from time to time sometimes i just go for some quiet time but again i think just understanding that pausing and slowing down and understanding where you are and centering yourself and is that a meditation yeah it is just taking a gap from what you're doing and understanding where you are and putting your feet where your feet are, grounding yourself, that in itself is a meditation can be really, really important for interrupting a pattern or giving you more energy to go or or helping you calibrate cognitive load, right? So those would be big practices for me. And, yeah. and people yeah. find them really hard and and you hear people talking about them, but they can really make a profound difference. They can. 
Yeah, I tried Headspace and I'd do it for a bit and I just couldn't, it didn't resonate, the voice. I don't know, it didn't work for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's the 10%. That one's not bad. There's also, oh, it's the other, the, um, I can't think of the other one now offhand. But, you know, I, I often kind of like doing something like yoga, which in itself for me is like a moving meditation. So that kind of works for me as well sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting a lot of practical Dan advice Harris, from Dan Harris. Dan Harris isn't bad. Look up Dan Harris. Dan Harris, right. In terms of, like, again, this is, I'm getting a lot of advice from me personally here, so I appreciate it. But in terms of, like, yoga, like, what would you recommend? My flexibility is not great. I think it really would be important for that to avoid any back issues and so on. But, like, any particular type of yoga or Pilates or anything else that you think is a good basic thing that everyone would really benefit from? Oh, yeah. I, I heard, listened to a podcast there recently with, on Trained, the Nike app, and uh, there was a fellow on it, I can't recall his name now, he built, basically built a Nike yoga arm, and I agree with him. I think physically, mentally, physiologically, psychologically, any of those sort of logicallys, it makes a huge difference. So it depends, you know, as you know, you know, do you want to go sympathetic or parasympathetic? Do you want to drive or do you want to relax? So it depends on a day, it depends on a week. Maybe on a Sunday you want to do a restorative yin slow down practice and it's calming and it's where it's a yoga nidra and you're really decompressing and down-regulating. Or maybe you're trying to get going and you're starting the week and it's a morning practice and it's more about a vinyasa and it's a flow and it's about raising everything and amping you up. So it, it depends what you're looking for across the spectrum. For me, I used to go to classes, especially in London and, you know, Equinox where I'd go to the gym or whatever. But now at home, I just use apps, be that Nike training, be that Aloe Yoga, and just kind of find a couple of practices depending on what I feel like doing at that point in time. If I've had an active day, I want to slow down. If I want to, if I feel I'm lacking a bit, I'll go a bit harder and do more of a 40-minute vinyasa, you know. So I've tried hot yoga as well, Bikram, that's kind of fun, but it's, it's long and it's not for everyone and you can overstretch and and just to the last point Andy I'd say Pilates is a big fan you know done a lot of reformer Pilates Matt Pilates any footballers I've worked with I'd always heavily recommended I've just come back from Israel and wrote an article in the Times in it a couple of years ago in the UK and the evidence there for what it can do for you from a injury prevention mobility mental headspace piece is just massive so you know a bit of yoga a bit of pilates especially for males it can help us a lot right because we're not that supple we're weak we're weak and tight in certain areas so i think it can help help people that are trying to stay active you know mm, yeah no definitely i've i know this stuff it's good to just reinforce it and I, I am committed to doing them so no thanks for that and then in terms of like just for, for your own learnings what books to particular books do you like you're obviously really into self-development and professional development but are there any particular ones that you think really resonated with your philosophy i don't know there's lots of books at the moment i'm all into the do lectures i've been into them for a long time so anything from the do books are really good you know do story do pause those books have been do purpose. They've they've really influenced a lot of a lot of my work. You know, any of Tim Ferriss's books, it's probably influenced me a lot, especially with the podcast. You know, Tools of Titans, Tribe of Mentors. I love Stephen Pressfield, his kind of stuff. Um, Robert Green, Ryan Holiday, all these, all these sort of guys. Um, I'm kind of looking around here, like Legacy at the time, Ray Dalio. Like I've got, you can't see it here, but it was one of the biggest gifts my dad gave me. I think he he gave me the gift of enjoying reading and I've really tried to help my kids see that see what it can do for you and even now I still get you know several book subscriptions so I'd always be reading every day every evening when I have a moment or even listen to an audiobook so lots of different books I'm currently reading uh, a few different ones I'm reading Cormac McCarthy he's my favorite author and reading 4,000 Weeks Oliver <laughs> Berkman it's about time management, but it's about understanding perspective. So that's quite interesting. That's a really good book. So, yeah, lots of different ones. No, very good. And so what's your plans then for, for the future, for, for where you want to take things? I don't know. Not sure. 
you know, it's what I'm trying to figure out. I'm doing a high flow coaching course at the moment uh, with the Flow Research Collective. And with that, as much as I'm trying to understand how to coach others, be that physios or be that people in the corporate world, it's, it's also what we're trying to understand for myself, where I'm trying to go, what I really want to dig oil in. Um, so right now, I just know that I love Hawara and, and where that's going. It's kind of we're getting into the pro sport world now with that, not just corporate. That's exciting. Our team's growing, starting to understand the market a lot better and our brand podcast is growing. We're, we're getting some really great guests recently, so don't want that to stop. And then the learning physiotherapist is pretty exciting, right? We have a book coming out in about a year. The next iteration of the course got some great people on board with that. So I kind of like all that stuff, but I know for sure that was those are all my babies, if you want to call them with other other key people. I want to really stay in the sports medicine space and, and whether that is still with some high caliber teams in the States or, or more interesting opportunities in the UK. I want to still look at creating those as to what they are, as to what shape they are. Only time will tell, but um, lots of stuff to do with the family as well. So lots of different things. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, no, certainly sounds sounds busy. The last question is in terms of the book, because that, that did intrigue me, like the, the title for it. Like what is your what's your angle in terms of the book then? Like what what would people expect to, to get out of it at the end of having read it? So I think in uni, college, university, wherever you are, um, we're never taught the stuff that's going to be in this book. So I think we're only exposed to what's ultimately really important experientially or when you're with mentors or coaches so this book tlp was founded i came i was saying the people that have helped me in my career were good at, were really good at communicating could speak could write could build rapport with patients could handle adversity could negotiate could challenge could build cohesive teams could network all these sort of things that were never really taught and could build a brand, could understand sales, which we've touched on. So this book is about that. This book is about soft skills, you want to call them human skills, personal skills, transferable skills to any sort of profession across everything from grit to resilience, to performance, to career road mapping, but also then some big, big hitters are going to talk about their journeys and where they failed and where they learned and what made them successful. So I think this book is for everyone who's interested in getting better, everyone who wants to be successful, any al allied healthcare professional, and it's non-clinical. So there'll be some technical, tactical pieces, but for the most part, it's about developing you as a person, right? Professionally, personally, at home, on the pitch, in the clinic. I think there's a huge niche for it. I think the online course showed that. I think the people that are interested in this book and just in terms of just wanting to get involved in it in some shape, even outside the physio world. And like, that's the next iteration, right? Sports Science, SNC, Sports Med. That's already in the pipeline. Um, and then the title will change. But that's really what it's about. So I think this could be for new grad, undergrad, me, my dad, you know, you don't even have to be a physio at all because this stuff is going to help you as a person. And we're not really, we're not really taught it. So I think we'll bring people together. I think we'll crystallize the community. And I think, you know, it can open up a lot of interesting doors for a lot of people. So, um, you know, anyone who wants to get involved, just, just give me a shout. I know it sounds great. You know, we do a lot of work with the universities. Um, so I think it'd be really helpful for some of those people coming through, because I definitely, definitely agree that those soft skills and the people I've chatted with on here, that they all say that is the key thing, personality, like the character, that the skills can all be taught. It's, yeah. it's, the, it's the other side of things, which are the, the, the differentiators. Yeah, which is, you know, that's what Hawar is about. Like the, our company, it's, that was born because it was never just about treating the knee. It was about treating a person, the whole person in front of you in terms of all realms, physical, mental, social, and the working life. So, that's what it's about. So I think for us as physios, healthcare practitioners, whichever way you want to call it, if you just look at the knee, you just look at the MCL sprain, you're missing it all together. That patient won't last long 
or or they'll lose confidence maybe or if they do how can you rebuild it or how can you get them back to where they were and i think that's what it's all about so it's about really understanding the person understanding you and understanding that that relationship so so yeah it's exciting it's uh, it's gonna be interesting now having to get everyone to write but um fun times are nearly there Great. No, brilliant. No, no, I'm really looking forward to that. I'll genuinely look forward to reading it. So, um, yeah, keep me posted on that. And I really appreciate you giving your time up today because you've obviously got a lot on your plate. So I appreciate yeah. it. Cheers. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks very brilliant. much. Take care. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.